it's a movement that's kind of based on labor revitalization. Uh, broadly, you know, the, the things I'm seeing at, at my local 3000 and, and at the other locals is kind of emblematic of something that's bigger, something that I'm seeing throughout the labor movement as a whole. It's, it's not just UFCW. Working with UFCW has been amazing and super eye-opening. But ultimately, this is, this is about the greater movement, the greater labor movement. Hello, my name is Teddy Ostra. Welcome to The Upsurge, a podcast about UPS, the Teamsters, and the future of the American labor movement. The Upsurge is produced in partnership within these times and the Real News Network. Both are nonprofit media organizations that cover the labor movement closely. Check them out at inthesetimes.com and therealnews.com. You can also find an archive of all our past episodes. You are listening to an exclusive bonus episode of The Upsurge, exclusive to our Patreon supporters, as well as Teamsters who freely receive bonus content. These bonus episodes are more quickly made, getting out interviews and even some on-the-ground reporting to our patrons. If you appreciate the show and you're not a patron already, please head over to patreon.com slash upsurgepod. You can find a link in the description. 200 monthly supporters is our goal. And please remember the next 22 people who become supporters of our Patreon will get a free one-year subscription to In These Times magazine. But there are about 10 of you who haven't responded to my request on Patreon for your address to claim that offer. So if you don't do that soon, we may just have to give that offer to someone else. So please, I don't want to do that. Come and claim it. On to the show. For this episode, I interviewed Enrique Romero Jr., a grocery worker at Fred Meyer in Bellingham, Washington, a member of United Food and Commercial Workers Local 3000 in the Northwest. Fred Meyer, by the way, is owned by the mega grocery chain Kroger. I spoke to Enrique because there are some rumblings going on at his union, the UFCW. Listeners of this show understand that one of the reasons why the Teamsters are where they are today, closing in on a massive strike at UPS, is because the reform movement Teamsters for a Democratic Union has fought for decades to push for democracy and militancy in the union. Enrique is the organizing director of Essential Workers for Democracy, an independent organization that, like T is trying to push for change within the union through rank and file organizing. The UFCW has a lot of the same issues that we saw at the Teamsters, and we still do. That includes questionable spending, bloated salaries of union leaders, an attitude of complacency with respect to organizing and bargaining, and this is a union of 1.2 million grocery and retail workers, meat cutters, healthcare workers, cannabis workers, and Really, we'd hope that like the Teamsters, like the newly reforming UAW, it would be leading the way of this new union era. But what we've seen is it's shedding members like crazy, and instead of spending more on organizing to meet this special labor moment, uh, where people are in dire need of unions and certainly are more excited to join unions, well, the union is actually holding on to its assets, not spending them. And part of the problem is that, like the Teamsters and the UAW once were, it is a highly undemocratic union. Members do not elect the top officers, so it's really no surprise that we're seeing behavior that doesn't necessarily put members first. 
I'm going to put a bunch of links in the description if you want to learn more, but I had a great time talking to Enrique, who is a leader in this brave effort to change another titan of American unionism, and frankly, it's about time. I wanted to say also we used the phrase pattern bargaining in the interview when we actually meant coordinated bargaining. Pattern bargaining is kind of a form of coordinated bargaining, but really what we're talking about is multiple units lining up their negotiations with each other and working together to get the same or similar contracts. Pattern bargaining is a bit different. That is where one contract sets the pattern for subsequent units, and that doesn't always give the union the same leverage that it has when they are bargaining across workplaces at the same time. It it certainly does help, but uh, when the strike threat is coordinated and entire regions may be shut down, forcing the employer into concessions, uh, that's a lot of strength on the union side. So just wanted to clarify that. Sorry for the confusion. Enrique Romero Jr., thanks for joining me on The Upsurge. Yeah, happy to be here. Super happy, excited uh, to talk. So first things first, uh, can you introduce yourself? Uh, you know, where where do you work? When did you get involved in the union? What's your local? Yeah, just give me the basics of yourself. Yeah, it's really, um, of course, my name is Enrique, uh, proud rank and file uh, UFCW 3000 member. So my local is out of um, the Seattle area, uh, Washington. Um, I'm a retail worker with Fred Meyer, a uh, Kroger owned company. Um, I've been in Bellingham for like nine years or so. Um, I'm a shop steward at my store. Uh, I'm also on the executive board. And the reason I got involved, uh, typical story, right? Management comes in and kind of throws some union paperwork in the trash in front of me. Um, and I dig it out of the trash and, you know, I immediately go start telling my coworkers what just happened. And, you know, just kind of got the ball rolling on getting people fired up. Awesome. So, you know, your local 3000, it's probably one of the more militant locals in the UFCW, United Food and Commercial Workers. But you're you're involved and you're a part of this this broader movement that's burgeoning. It's trying to change the union. Now we we all love unions generally, but you know, they have their problems and we we want them to be better. Um, and this is particularly particularly relevant to listeners because in many ways this this show is about uh, you know how the Teamsters Union has changed and what that took uh, and what they've a- they've been able to accomplish since they have reformed or are reforming the union and what what they can accomplish. So I just wanted to start out with you know what's going on, what's in need of reform, what's the impetus for changing your own union, and and what are you guys doing? Yeah, first, uh, first and foremost, you know, I love and cherish our unions, you know, the work they do, the the support and resources they offer. It's, it's all fundamental, it's all fundamental and needed. Um, and out of that love and cherishment, um, I'm always seeking to improve and grow the experiences and, and the kind of the protections that come with union membership. That's just kind of who I am. I'm always looking to improve, you know, the things around me. You know, working with my local, working with essential workers for democracy, um, you know, has shown both sides of the coin when it comes to the labor movement. You know, I, I as you kind of mentioned, you know, I, I've seen the strength of a local, uh, like 3000, with their victories. I was part of the contract bargain. So I can, I can kind of see what big victories look like. And at the same time, you know, I'm hearing 
and talking with other members from other locals um, that don't necessarily have that fight in them, that they're not getting the wins they would like necessarily like to see. So, you know, working with essential workers, um, you know, it's, it's M3000, it's, it's a movement that's kind of based on labor revitalization uh, broadly, you know, the, the things I'm seeing at, at my local 3000 and, and at the other locals is kind of emblematic of something that's bigger, something that I'm seeing throughout the labor movement as a whole. It's, it's not just UFCW. Working with UFCW has been amazing and super eye-opening. But ultimately, this is this is about the greater movement, the greater labor movement uh, overall, and just kind of wanting to keep change and progress going. So your union held a convention this year. Um, it happens every five years. And a number of people from the reform movement attended, and you were included. You were a delegate or an alternate, um, but can, can you tell me about that experience, your, your takeaways, uh, and what you guys were trying to accomplish there? It was, it was an astounding experience. I was actually a delegate, so I was able to um, have my voice vote be heard, um, which was uh, amazing, just kind of being part of history like that. You know, I was uh, the nomination process to getting out there was the first time ever getting kind of votes like that. It was it was truly a democratic process in having to you know go out there and get the vote out, um, educate the members, you know, on top of actually going to the convention and then voting alongside my fellow UFCW members. You know, from the start, the emphasis on this convention was about having the members' voices first. You know, one member, one vote was is kind of the main the main driving factor the convention itself felt much like what i've seen on television you know a democratic or public national convention i've never been a part of anything like that and going out onto the floor my voice had literal weight to it and it was the very first time i i felt like that and part of that process was eye-opening you know um i saw there was there was plenty of dialogue on both sides and and it was it was encouraging to see you know other folks from the other side of the aisle reach out and and have that conversation with us as far as maybe finding a middle ground and and really working together to figure out what how what we can do to maybe prompt some action as opposed to create friction even though we're on opposing sides of a of an uh, of a view you know ultimately we were able to accomplish starting a dialogue about progress and change and growth within our union. So I think, I think that was a big win for us. So like you, you're saying, like, uh, you know, across the aisle, what is, what, what is this fracture in the union? What, what are you guys up against? I'm curious, you know, um, as, as we're saying here, you know, we're all pro our unions, but what are you guys up against? You know, when you went there, something I've heard is, uh, you were a rank and file delegate. There weren't that many of you, as I understand. Uh, what what uh, what are you guys up against in uh, this fight to reform your union? Uh, when you walk into the convention floor, it was readily available. You could easily see the amount of staffers out there going out to vote, which is great because you know they're they're out there to represent their members and do what they think is right for their members. But at the same time, I think it's different actually having the members, the dues paying members on the floor voting. So there was folks that didn't necessarily believe that members had to be there, you know, for one reason or another, 
um, being a member, I, I could I could feel an us versus them vibe in the air. You know, um, it was it was folks that that wanted some change. They wanted that we wanted the one member one vote, which is probably the most contested topic as far as you know how to implement it in a in a in a union like this. There's certain democratic procedures that have been in place, and you know the the staffers have you know shared their stories on how how and why that works. You know, which is which is great. It works, <laughs> but we think and I think it could work better. You know, I think it could, we can change things for the better. And really, it was it was really about having more members, more 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 of a platform, and amplifying the the voice of the members so they can out, be out there and voting as opposed to having staffers. Yeah, let, let's let, let's dig into that a little bit. You know, you guys are pushing for a number of different things. Um, you mentioned one member, one vote. And just to clarify, this is something that most unions don't have. And this is one member, one vote for top union officers. So both the Teamsters and the UAW won this through federal intervention. You guys are trying to get this good old fashioned, organize the rank and file, push it, try to make, get, get this reform in the union. Tell us like, you know, what, what is the democratic process like what you saw at the convention and, and why do you want to make it better? Why, why do you think one member, one vote is important and central to this reform effort? Ultimately, I, I really think this is about appropriate and fair representation with one member, one vote, you know, um, whether it's the process for delegation nomination that I kind of went through, um, whether it's, like you said, voting for the international president or even something as simple as going to a general membership meeting, having those democratic values in place really adds some credence to the union, adds some weight behind their words because if everything goes through a democratic process, then we understand that there's, there's levels to the way we can act and have our voices heard. You know, I think ultimately members should be the ones steering the boat. Um, it, they are dues paying members. They, ha- they deserve, we deserve to have a seat at the table where the decisions are made that impact us directly. So ultimately it's, it's important because it's the members money. It's, it's about the members and the members should be leading. Now the next kind of pillar of what you guys are trying to change in the union has to do with organizing. And this is, I think, particularly important in some of the bread and butter industries of the UFCW, the grocery industry where you work. Can you talk about where, where's the money going um, in the UFCW right now? And, and why are you guys asking for more money towards organizing? Can you talk about that? Absolutely. When you have a strong local, like 3,000, an emphasis is the emphasis placed on organizing as it is, we are able to win a historic contract. Last year in in the grocery contract, gave about members about $4 over the next three years in wage increases on top of some other things. You know, it was huge. Some folks saw a raise about 50% overnight, which is life-changing, you know, and that was all because of the organizational efforts my local put in as far as educating and amplifying the members' voices and their ideas. My store was only about half unionized a little after that contract bargain came out. 
And once they saw the win that we were able to get, they took the initiative with the help of the local, right? They offered the resources and, and the things needed for for the un, ununionized part of the store to get unionized. You know, it was all, they, they brought it up. They, they were the ones talking to their own coworkers. And ultimately they were, before I left the store for a union apprenticeship, a couple months, after a couple months, they were able, we were able to get the store unionized wall to wall, you know, on the, on the other flip side, you know, when there's unions or locals that aren't necessarily putting emphasis on organizing, members are facing challenges. There's frustration and walls are hit when it comes to making progress on improving language in the contract or even so- something as, you know, getting, getting members to wear buttons or, or swag or something, you know, be proud of the union. There are fewer organizers in the field than there used to be. And I'm not necessarily taking that as a setback, but if anything, it's an opportunity to revitalize and light that fire um, uh, for the members um, so they can stand up to what they uh, stand up uh, and get what they deserve. You know, UFCW has the potential to being like this powerhouse union that can fight some big fights and win them. And it kind of all starts at the local level, educating, elevating, and amplifying the needs of the essential workers. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you you ended on that because I mean, part of the part of the reason right it's this is so important is uh, we're in a special moment like a labor moment where people the dire need and also the dire opportunity uh, for organizing for unionizing you know is is really strong right now um, and a big 1.2 million member. Uh, union like UFCW, right? One would expect that they would be going off and spending millions of dollars organizing people, but instead we see, you know, workers at like Trader Joe's at New Seasons. They're like, hey, we don't want to deal with that big union. We want to make our own unions, you know. And and then you will go off and you look at certain parts of the country, and and I, I know a big complaint, right, is the the salaries of some. Uh, of these local presidents. Can you talk about like, what, is it, what does it mean to you to be seeing like some people making like 700K one person off of member dues? Um, what does that say to you? Um, very disappointed, um, heartbreaking. And part of me is, is ready to be mad and, and ready to do something. I'm probably one of the reasons why I'm here, right? Um, it, it is frustrating because those people that are making, you know, three quarters of a million dollars with multiple homes are also the same folks that have members um, that are struggling to put food on the table, that are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and the representation isn't there for them. You know, the opportunities aren't there for them. Um, they're, when they call their reps, their calls are going unanswered. Um, it's, uh, I'm ready to be mad, you know, I'm doing my best to uh, uh, take this energy and, and work with it in in a positive light. But I, I think giving power back to the member and giving them that education that, hey, this is what's happening at your local. Um, are you ready to do something? Giving that power back to them. Ultimately, it'll be up to the members, right? If, if we let them know what's happening and they're not happy with it, then, hey, let's figure out a way to get you happy. And if, if you're a member and you see that from your staff 
what they're getting paid and you're cool with it, hey, then cool with it and we can move on and, you know, we can talk about something else. So ultimately, that's, I, I, I stand on some, I stand on my own ground, but it, 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 we're talking about locals and, and kind of the system. Let's, let's leave it up to the members. Let them decide. Right on. And, you know, another of the important issues that you guys, uh, you know, are wanting to empower workers to sort of uh, fight against is a lack of pattern bargaining in the UFCW specifically. Like, uh, I mean, there's some of it going on, but in the grocery industry and certain industries that are kind of monopolizing, uh, you know, we're seeing a bunch of mergers that are you know, undercutting these more isolated agreements around the country, right? Uh, it's the principle being, if you're united as one, you can bargain better. Can you talk a little bit about this? And maybe this is a way to loop in a really important issue for workers like you, which is the proposed Kroger-Albertsons merger. Maybe you could explain what's going on there. Yes, of course, that historic contract uh, that I just kind of uh, touched on, that was with pattern bargaining. We were able to bargain multiple contracts with multiple employers uh, with the strength of the local behind us. So being able to fight those big corporations and win was huge. Um, and we were able to, you know, um, use historical knowledge to improve the language. We were able to reach out to other bargainers and, and folks that have that have won some strong contract bargaining agreements. We were able to see how they technically went through and improved their their bargaining period uh, personally also when i first started at fred meyer i i saw the effects and the repercussions of the merger i started at fred meyer in 2012 uh, which is around the same time the kroger fred meyer merger started to um fully develop i i believe the buyout happened a few years before that but that's when it became really apparent that kroger was in the in the store, on the shelves, and the in the way Fred Meyer did business. Immediately, hours were cut, product quality went down, customer service quality went down. It, it just became Walmart 2.0. Uh, and they put a nice little ribbon on it too. You know, they had like a little party when they when they had um, the deli officially open or, or, or there was like a party with a certain brand in the deli and they were giving out hot dogs and stuff for cheap. But when that was happening, at the same time, I remember just like looking around and like, why are they buttering us up? <laughs> um, so as far as mergers go, I, I, my first job was my experience with that and, and talking to folks that have been at Fermeyer for much longer than uh, prior to, to the merger, um, they, they told me their story about, you know, Fermeyer was pretty good. Fermeyer kind of took care of their own. And then when kind of Kroger came in, Thing, kind of stuff changed on the shelves and then the stuff changed for the workers and we kind of see this pattern to bring it back to pattern bargaining that's why this is so important to win these contracts so we can continue improving language um, these mergers hopefully hopefully this is one that doesn't go through but just, this is a society we live in where we might have to fight more, more mergers in the future as long as we're prepared ready we can take them we can take on them all <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I, I, I want to see you guys take them on. I mean, just, just so listeners understand, uh, Kroger and Albertsons, this would be like one of the biggest grocery industry mergers, um, 
in history. And there's a number of issues surrounding it. I can link to some stuff um, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, this could lead to layoffs, hours cut, right? It means that Kroger and Albertsons, they would have a lot of collective power to sort of beat back the union. Um, and one way to oppose it would be to come out and oppose it, which the UFCW International, right, they did not oppose it. Um, from the beginning, they came out with some wishy-washy language. Uh, local 3000, a coalition of uh, mostly West Coast uh, locals, they came out right away and said, this is a danger to our members. I mean, you guys, one of the wins you guys got really was getting the international to finally say, hey, we, we're, we're opposed to this merger. So good on you guys for, uh, you know, pushing so hard. The last, the last kind of pillar of uh, reform you guys are trying to push on, right, is, is strike readiness. What are the hindrances to striking and, and what do you want to see change with regard to that tool in the worker tool belt? Yeah, the pitchfork. Yeah, that's the ultimate tool, right? Um, well, from members and from folks that I've been talking to, of course, the number one concern is financial. What are people going to do when they're depending on that paycheck that's coming this week, right? They can't wait. Uh, eight days to get paid. Eight days, by the way, was a, a win we got at the convention. We used to have language for 14-day strike pay. Now we were able to get it down to eight. Of course, we wanted first-day strike pay, but, you know, a step at a time. So anyway, eight days to get paid. I'm not, that's a week and a half. That's basically two weeks, right? So that's, that's hard. That's really hard to overcome. You know, not to mention folks that rely on the medical benefits. They need a minimum amount of hours. The international has been stockpiling assets for 10 years. Um, and strike readiness is something that many, if not all corporations, uh, they just straight can't compete with the negative PR, the loss in revenue, like everything. Any union, uh, any union can be a fighting union with the right resources and right allocation of funds. If, if the international were to spend money on that organizing and strike readiness in a way that's more offensive rather than reactive or passive or until they get strong-armed into doing something, um, I mean, that would lead to the membership having that financial readiness to strike on top of having the, the spiritual courage to stand up to their, with their coworkers and against their boss. You know, it's, so it's, it's a little bit about money. It's a little bit about getting people fired up striking striking is 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 a big heavy blow and and if you're ready and you're prepared you know we can take them all on <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the strike pay issue i mean it's it's a you know sometimes in media they like to portray uh you know all the damage done to uh the corporations and and that rightly so right um, that's, that's the leverage that workers have, but, you know, workers have to forego their paychecks too. So it takes 14 days to get that first strike paycheck. That's, that can be rough. Um, other hindrances, as I understand is, you know, uh, technically you guys got to get permission from the international president. So, and there's like some strange issues related to, you can only strike if you guys, after voting on the final best offer from the from the company and bargaining. So there's a number of these issues. Um, I want to end on this. What did you guys achieve at the convention? 
I think in terms of amendments, the actual, you know, inked changes, but beyond that, outside of any sort of on paper wins, what do you think you guys achieved and, and what are the next steps for improving your union? You know, um, we definitely did get some great paper wins, you know, ink on paper wins with acknowledgement of healthcare and cannabis industries in our constitution. That That is huge. We're officially a healthcare and cannabis union. That was kind of a little bit of a setback for some healthcare workers, um, you know, affiliated with UFCW because, you know, UFCW has its history of grocery unions. So we're officially more diverse. Those are huge. And of course, the 14 day to eight day strike day pay was a big win. Uh, but ultimately, the off paper stuff, you know, change starts with a conversation, with a dialogue. And it starts by acknowledging that not, not only is there a status quo uh, that is being upheld, but maybe that status quo can start to shift this way or that way. It's, it's totally up to, it should be up to the members to decide how that needle moves, whether it's left, right, or even if it doesn't move, it should be up to the members to decide. You know, we've seen and heard that the time to add color and that revitalization to UFCW has come you know, straight from the members themselves. Uh, you know, this is just one step in the reformative process that, you know, again, is really emblematic of the labor movement as a whole. We're seeing changes all, all around us. You mentioned it, you know, with Starbucks, uh, with Trader Joe's, Amazon Labor Union, uh, United Auto Workers, and of course, Teamsters. Um, you know, changes changes occurring all around us and how we conduct ourselves as a union and the essential workers is, is shifting. I know we talked a lot about UFCW today, but, you know, just an example, uh, because of, of the timing, you know, the convention was so big. So, you know, of course that had a big emphasis. There was a big emphasis with, with, with the convention. Um, but with the news articles that followed and, and, and folks kind of reading up on what's happening, you know, they're, they're asking themselves, can we do that in our union? You know, that's where that's where essential workers for democracy can step in. That's where um, uh, podcasts like this one can step in. Another uh, in these times, uh, some really great articles. It's it's uh, all these all these resources for the essential worker um, can step up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I could speak for listeners of this podcast, other people in the labor movement that we're, we're excited to see what you guys do. You know, we maybe the UFCW will be the next rise. So, Enrique Romero Jr., thanks for joining me on the Upsurge. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. This has been an awesome talk. Um, and for folks out there listening, um, with any questions or or anything, you know, please feel free to reach out to me at Enrique at EW. 4d.org and let's start a dialogue and we'll put those resources in the show notes you just listened to an exclusive bonus episode of the upsurge the upsurge is produced in partnership within these times and the real news network both are nonprofit media organizations that cover the labor movement closely check them out at in these times.com and the real where you can also find an archive of all our past episodes if you're listening but are not yet a supporter of our patreon please if you like the show if you want to keep it going head over to patreon.com upsurge pod and become a patron today
The link is in the description. And again, we are trying to get to 200 monthly supporters by July to make the podcast sustainable, and we are quite a ways away. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at UpsurgePod, Facebook, The Upsurge, and you can also find full episodes now on our YouTube channel, The Upsurge. Go spread it far and wide, leave us ratings, likes, comments, all the good stuff. Thanks so much to our patrons who keep the show going. The podcast was edited by myself, it was produced by NYGP and Ruby Walsh, music is by Casey Gallagher, the cover art was done by Devlin Clara Resitar, I'm Teddy Ostra, thanks for listening and catch you next time.